So what's your podcast about? Superheroes. It's a little geeky, but I think you guys are going to like it. Try not to be too geeky. No, I can't promise that. Should we begin? It's a bird. It's a plane. It's the Geek and You Shall Find podcast. And now, your hosts, Kelsey Dickerson, Brad Fay, Kate Fay, and Noah Berlin. Hold on to your butts. Welcome to the Geek and You Shall Find podcast. I am Noah Berlin, and I've got Brad Fay and Kate Fay with me. We are very excited to talk about episode five of House of the Dragon. So whether you're listening on Spotify, another podcasting platform, or if you're watching on YouTube, we thank you for assembling with us and joining the Superhero Faces team. Make sure to subscribe, like, and leave your thoughts in the comments section if you want to engage with us directly. Um, be sure to follow Superhero Faces at Superhero Faces on Facebook and Twitter and at Superhero underscore Faces on Instagram. You could also follow Kate at at Caterade or at Caterade one two two and me at at Noah Berlin. But before we talk about this episode, I want to throw it over to Brad, who is going to give a living legend his flowers. Yeah. And uh, tonight's director's notes with Brad G. Fay. Yes, thank you, Noah. Uh, it is the birthday of the one and only George R. R. Martin this week, uh, creator of Game of Thrones and all things tied into Game of Thrones, such as Fire and Blood, House of the Dragon. So I wanted to give him a happy birthday and also wanted to give a few inside notes uh, about things people might not know. We had the opportunity to interview George R. R. Martin for a project we're currently working on. Um, got to kind of talk to him a little bit like before and after the interview and was very pleased to know, learn that he's a giant comic book fan. And I knew he was a comic book fan going in, but I had no idea that like the knowledge he had about comic books. Uh, so three notes I I just threw down really quick that I learned that day is one, he has a gigantic collection and pretty much knows the first appearances of like every superhero by heart. So we were talking, I was telling him I have the first appearance of Silver Surfer. And I think he was like, that's Fantastic Four number 47, right? And I was like, oh my God, he knows like the specific. And then we were talking about like milestone issues and stuff. So that really stood out to me because I know like, like a lot of celebrities collect comic books, but like he really knew his stuff. And it's also interesting, his first ever published work was actually in the back of some Marvel comic books during the 60s when he was writing fan letters to Stan Lee and was getting his letters published in the back of these Marvel comics. So that hopefully is a little tidbit not a lot of people are aware of that if you look in the back of some 1960s Fantastic Four, um, some Avengers comics, you'll see and his old address in Bayonne, New Jersey, which we also did some filming at too, actually. So you'll yeah. see name George R. R. Martin is back in the day, they used to publish your address, which is really crazy to think now that <laughs> there was a time they were just publishing your home address in the back of these comic books. But in the last note I had is in the 80s, he actually teamed up with an all-star lineup to write a comic book called X-Men Heroes for Hope. And I actually have had this comic in my collection for probably since like the 90s. It was one I, I picked up along the way before I ever knew anything about George R. R. Martin. So I researched this comic a little bit further and I wanted to run through some of the names who worked on this title, which is incredible. The comic was published actually to raise awareness about hunger in Africa. Um, mm -hmm. And again, so it was a kind of a collection of different, you know, one of those like anthology books. I think it's like a bunch of separate short 
X-Men stories that kind of come together. So I'm going to run through a few of these names and I am doing a disservice to a lot of creators who I love that I didn't even get to write down because this list was growing way too long. So a lot of people have been edited out, but here are just a few people who wrote or illustrated some of the stories that are in this X-Men comic book. You got Stanley, obviously everyone knows, co-creator of the X-Men. Stephen King, a few people might have heard of Stephen King, uh, <laughs> kind of a popular writer out there. Alan Moore, who of course wrote mm-hmm. Watchmen and V for Vendetta. You got Jim Starlin, who created Thanos. Danny O'Neill, one of my favorite writers. Frank Miller, an iconic writer, artist for you know a lot of work in the 80s, like Daredevil, Batman. Chris Claremont, one of the best to ever write. X-Men, Ed Bryant, who would later write Wild Cards with George R. R. Martin. And a pair of Marvel writers that we actually interviewed for this project. I was happy to see their name, Steve Englehart and Anne Nocenti. So quite an impressive lineup that came together to work on that X-Men comic book in the 80s for a good cause. Damn, Brad. Well, thank you. That's really great, really informative. And it's crazy because just by looking at George R. R. Martin, you would never be able to guess that he's a huge comic book nerd. So that, that's kind of wild. <laughs> well, I like to surprise people wow. with that. <laughs> now, if you'd only uh, work on finishing the books instead of being distracted by shiny lights, uh, every uh, he might become my MVP at some point, too. That man alone. Had to sneak that in on <laughs> yep, the man's birthday. It. Had to do it. I, oh, on this of all days. You could catch strays on your birthday, too, George. Don't forget. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but shifting focus. Once again, this is your spoiler warning. If you haven't yet seen this episode, episode five of House of the Dragon, we'll be doing a deep dive into all the events from the episode, but we have not read Fire and Blood and we have stayed away from all online leaks. So you don't have to worry about any spoilers from future episodes or the direction that the series is going, anything like that. But now let's dig in. So we went from the horniest episode in Game of Thrones last week to the craziest episode in Game of Thrones this week. But this episode was peak Game of Thrones. It had a royal wedding. It had two murders. It had a new dragon that we got to see. We had characters shooting their shot. A ton of betrayal mixed in as well. And if you could see the chess pieces kind of slowly moving into position in previous episodes, this episode gave us a full taste of the conflict that's to come. But really, some people play the game better than others, and those people would be considered an MVP. So Kate, I'm going to throw it to you first. Who did you have as your MVP from this episode? So you don't even know my MVP yet, Noah, but that was like a perfect intro (laughs) because Alicent has entered the Game of Thrones. (laughs) She, Lady Hightower, is playing ball. Um, And I'm a little bit worried about what that means for my girl Rhaenyra, but for this episode, she was my MVP. Um, she started out obviously very upset with her father being ousted as the hand of the king. Um, and she's crying and, you know, she, she already feels very secluded and lonely. Um, and now she's lost like her biggest ally and her father. Um, and then throughout the episode, obviously she learns all these different secrets and things, but mainly that Rhaenyra, um, hooked up with Kristen Cole and, uh, she basically lied to Allison about it. Um, so that kind of causes her to be like, oh no, like I am, I'm switching gears here. Like I am going to be not sympathetic to Rhaenyra anymore. She's here to play ball, like I said. Um, and also I think that's going to be not such a great thing for Rhaenyra moving forward, just because obviously she now has 
the interest of kind of what her father alluded to with trying to get her son, Aegon, uh, as the heir to the throne. So fighting for him to be on the throne versus um, Rhaenyra as the heir. I like it that she actually is mine too. My, well, my first MVPs were just Millie Alcock and Emily Carey. This will be the last episode that we see of these two actresses and they absolutely crushed it. Uh, you could tell that they have a real rapport and a real friendship in real life because the way that they play off each other in the early episodes when they're best of friends and people are even thinking that there was something more than just a friendship there. And then seeing, you know, the cracks start to show, which is kind of a big theme for me of this episode as a whole of the cracks really starting to show within this whole thing. And yeah, I mean, she, Queen Allison, she had a, her coming out party. She, she was the queen here. And I think that between her dad leaving and her feeling all alone, she had to really, you know, build an identity and really um, define who she was going to be. And once she felt betrayed by uh, her best friend and, and all that it, you really see what she's done and and man when she busts through the door and we'll get to the the wedding ceremony the wedding um feast a little bit later but when she busts through the door in that green dress goddamn yeah she she was she was crushing it that was incredible i was i literally got chills yeah did you have her too brad or who's your mvp i don't for my mvp i simply wrote those leeches because those leeches <laughs> had been putting in some work on King Viserys, who one scene was on the threshold of death. And then we got to that banquet and he, he really like turned out, I was like, those leeches work some magic on King Viserys because uh, that guy, every time you think he's, he's done and done, they're like, just throw some leeches on him and he bounces back more powerful than ever. So that, that's my shout out for this week is those leeches putting in work. Getting wormed up. Getting wormed up. Yeah, no doubt, man. They had to put in work. They just keep reviving this dude. And really, like, the king, part of me wanted to be like, we get it. This dude is in very bad shape. I wanted to start, like, a drinking game where it's like every time you see something happening where he just looks really terrible, you got to drink. We'd all be dead. We'd yeah. be dead. Every time he was... loses a finger, take a shot. I mean, just in this episode, right? Like she, sh he shakes the hand of Rhaenys and she's like, yo, you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. He falls out, out of the little carriage thing. He need to get leeches. He passes out. He's bleeding everywhere. Like this guy looked really bad in this episode. He loses a finger a week on the show, I think. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Damn. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, but well, then I saw scenes, you know, for next week and there's a huge time jump and he's still there. I'm like, how is this guy? I guess it's the leeches. They just keep bringing him back to life, I guess. The leeches, good lord. Uh, so if we, we've had King Viserys as LVP, kind of on a standing basis, almost every episode, to me, I think that the king, kind of aside from just looking fucking terrible, he actually did pretty good. I mean, it, when he got to um, when he got to Driftmark, and Corlys Valerion was was kind of. You know, it was a little, I thought at that point, the message had come across to them that they knew that there was going to be yeah. engagement. I thought that they were traveling to Driftmark for the wedding itself, but that wasn't the case. They were going there to see if they could create an arrangement there, which I thought that was weird because in Game of Thrones, everyone communicates with ravens. So like, was ravens not a thing then? Like, did they not discover that method? Meth, uh, method I actually of, thought uh, that during this episode, we haven't once heard send a raven, no. seen a raven send. So I literally was thinking, I'm like, was that like, had no one thought of that yet? 
yeah, it's it's yeah. weird how that happens. But they went all the way there just to ask him the question. But I was wondering why it seems so ominous when they're all walk the, the king's traveling party are walking through uh, through the castle there and just the music and everything and everyone's kind of looking at them weird. So that was really um, a little crazy. But it made sense why that was because they still were not on great terms until the pr the proposal was made. But he made some pretty good um, political decisions. Uh, Corliss wanted a clarification on the succession plan, and he really shot his shot, um, trying to get them to take the name Valerion so that every king subsequently on the Iron Throne would be a Valerion, not a Targaryen. And they came with a, a nice little compromise there, but but he didn't get run over by any means. Viserys held his own in the conversation and, and found what he needed to do to make both parties happy. So I thought he actually was pretty smart in this episode, aside from looking like shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big ask, by the way. Like, yeah. oh yeah, that's that's a very big like. Yo, that's kind of what we're setting up. Like, I'm the king. Like, but then I did think of it like you, you know, especially at that time, the woman would take the man's name. So I did kind of think like, oh yeah, like you know, that would be different back then of the man taking the woman's last name. So I did kind of, you know, it was something I hadn't considered, but I was like, damn, that is a very big ask of him. Yeah, and he was Corliss was super confident about it and looked really, I don't know, just badass. And then afterwards, when he was talking to Rainice, he's like, Did I overextend myself? Like, am I good? And then it turned out he was fine. But but I, I was kind of proud of, of our guy, King Viserys, there a little bit. Uh so Kate, going back to you though, uh, if if King Viserys was not an LVP for you this episode, who was your LVP? I hate to do it because I love him, but Sir Kristen Cole. He he took an L this episode, <laughs> clearly. Sir Klingor. What? Sir Klingor. Brad called him Sir Kling Klinger because Sir he was Klinger. clinging on to Rhaenyra like hard. Yeah, and that was my part of why he was my LVP too, because throughout the first few episodes, like he's definitely been one of my favorites. Um he seems like he's got a good head on his shoulders, like he just seems like a cool guy. Um but he had like an insane downfall this episode. Um, it was crazy, like how fast he just like fell from grace, I guess. Um, but it's first, first of all, like he got way too into Rhaenyra and she just was not on the same page, which I don't fault him for that. Like she's, she's awesome. So I get it. But he was like in way too deep, like he, he caught feelings real hard and he needed to like take it back a little bit. Um, yeah, she he wanted to like run away with her to SOS, I think. And she's like, no, I got some things to do here. Um, and then he kind of starts, that's when he starts to like lose his mind a little bit at this kind of a rejection, kind of not. She still wants to like hook up with him, just not run away with him. <laughs> um, but then he admits to Allison. It, well, it was kind of a weird scene and we can talk about it um, a little bit later on. She thinks she's talking about Rhaenyra and Damon, but he thinks she's talking about him and Rhaenyra. Mm -hmm. So he admits that they, they hooked up and that sets this whole event into motion there. Um, and then of course, at the end of this wedding celebration, he completely beats the shit out of a guy and kills him that we just met this dude. Like he didn't really do anything to Sir Kristen. He just said like, Hey, like we're, we're, we kind of have the same interest here. Like just, let's just keep it a secret. <laughs> and then he just lost it. 
um, and was about to commit suicide. And of course, Allison came and stopped him. And uh, well, I guess I have questions why she did that, but I mean, we'll see. We can discuss that or we'll see next episode. Yeah, I, my first note of all the notes that I had on this episode when I was watching was Sir Kristen is simping. He yeah. was simping hard for our girl Rhaenyra, man. Yeah. And and really with that, the whole episode, like I said before, you see the cracks forming with with their relationship, with all the stuff, but the rejection that he got from Rhaenyra, uh, obviously he was really broken up about breaking his oath, that he shamed his family name, he shamed his position, um, his cloak, as he said, he shamed, and really he doesn't know what to do with himself. So he just snaps and then he tries to kill himself. Uh, in, in their interaction with Sir Kristen and Rhaenyra, it was pretty good. Um, he's like, he's trying to like be really slick and, you know, give like love language. He's like, this could be a marriage of love, not for the crown. And she's like, I am the crown. <laughs> like, yeah. like, absolutely not. And he's offended. She's like, well, we can still hook up, you know, like, this is good. And he's well, like, you want me to be your whore? And I'm like, damn, bro, God. And I like how he he started out with that by like saying like, I know you like better than anybody because yeah. you know they're always together and stuff. And it's like, well, if you're going to suggest that to her, like clearly you don't really know her and what she wants because like that that's her whole her whole trajectory here is to be on the throne. Like she can't run away from that. But I, I think it is fair guys to realize and I, I talked a little with Kate about this if you, we as an audience are a lot of times privy to information that characters within the show aren't. And sometimes it works the other way around. So from his point of view, we saw her almost hook up with Damon. She kind of was like left hanging a little bit, runs back to the castle, knocks on his door and jumps his bones. He doesn't know that other event took place. From his point of view, here's this girl that he's grown close to, knocking on his door in the middle of the night, wanting to hook up. Did he jump a little too far into the pool? Sure. But from his point of view, he didn't even know he was like second choice that night. He's thinking like, she must have the same feelings as me. She knocked on my door in the middle of the night and jumped on top of me. So I get his perspective a little bit more than us, the audience being like, dude, like she's just throwing her royal oats at this point right now. You were, you were just one of many. Like royal oats. But from his point of view, like he's her guy. So, you know, I, I felt like a little like sympathy for him in that regard. Like, did he go way too far? Of course. But I'm like, from his perspective, he kind of thought maybe they really had something. Yeah, but come on. She it's super delusional for him to even think that because not only is she just from a very great and powerful house and a noble woman, right? She's literally the heir to the throne, and he's a nobody from a nothing house who got elevated by her to be a king's guard but with that you are taking an oath of celibacy so number one he's not qualified to even date her anyway and he took an oath that he would never so like there's so many wrong things and for him to even think that this could be an option i understand that he thinks maybe she digs him but like yeah. that it's still super delusional I think that was the theme of this episode, though. You said Corliss, you know, shot his shot. I think this was an episode of people swinging for the fences. No like, doubt. I Which I respect. I do respect. Yeah, like, for sure. Everybody was just like, fuck it. Like, everyone was saying, like, <laughs> they were down, you know, five yeah. touchdowns in the fourth quarter. We're like, no let's doubt. try something crazy, know. you know? Yeah, shoot or shoot, Sir Kristen. I respect <laughs> it. But, man, even... uh Lenor's uh, lover, whose name is Joffrey Lawnmouth. And, and first of all, let me just say, 
that anytime a Joffrey of any kind gets murdered in this show, I like it. <laughs> Doesn't matter. This dude, we just met him. Probably a nice guy. I don't care. Joffrey's getting murked or, or a-okay in my book. But even that guy, he's like, look at Sir Kristen over there. He's fully construct. And they're like yeah. laughing at him, dude. Yeah. Like he was a joke. Because it's like obvious. Ooh, like For sure. But like, damn, like everyone's coming for him. So I don't know. But I think that with all of these things, um, to me, it's like a lot of foreshadowing with uh, ultimately a betrayal uh, of Kristen to Rhaenyra. Uh, and it seems like it's already happening where with all the the kind of rejection, all this stuff, like dude was, he was going to, he's like, yeah, please don't cut my nuts off. Just kill me. Yeah. And, and the queen doesn't say anything. So like he he thinks he owes her for that. Right. Then he's going to kill himself at the end and she stops him from doing that. And I feel like between all the rejection, all the things happening with, with Rhaenyra and, you know, I think he's going to kind of be running towards the queen a little bit. And, and that would be even more of a betrayal and even more of a reason for the conflict that's obviously going to happen between Rhaenyra and Alicent. It would definitely make sense for him to kind of ally with Alicent. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, but Brad, was Sir Kristen your LVP too, or did you have any others? He was not. I had for my LVP this week, I actually had my boy Damon, who is... is mm dropping dropping a few rungs week by week with me and uh his two like worst decisions he made were first killing his wife that ain't cool especially like the way he did it like yeah you're right that's not cool potentially injured a horse like (laughs) but i think i think the bigger thing that he messed up on is now that i have seen those tapestries those orgy tapestries they had up in that room I think Damon should have went and looked at the tapestries. And I really like think he missed out last week when he was like, oh, your tapestries. <laughs> and then like I was seeing those tapestries. I'm like, Damon, what this is like right in Damon's league to look at these tapestries. So Damon, that was just back to back bad decisions by Damon these past couple of weeks. <laughs> he missed um, a golden opportunity with those tapestries for sure. <laughs> those tapestries, those tapestries were crazy. <laughs> yeah um man i mean it was kind of brutal he he's he's cold-hearted man like you sometimes it's it's so crazy how much the viewers end up going back and forth with him where he does things that are just like really fucked up and then he seems really redeemable and then he just does something else that's really cold-hearted and it's like i mean do you think maybe this is obvious but do you guys think that when he showed up there in the veil and he obviously ran into his wife, Lady Rhea Royce. Do you think he had it planned to kill her the whole time? Oh, yeah. It seemed like it. Yeah, yeah it seemed like that was his one goal for me. Well, I... But he was going to walk away. He was going to walk away. He wasn't going to kill yeah. her until she, she... I mean, she was a G also. She's yeah, like, oh, I she's knew you up. couldn't finish. I knew you couldn't finish. It's like, God damn. And then he killed her. Like, oh, but, did you see last week's episode? Yeah, right. Now, oh, you must be You must be caught up on, on the show. <laughs> I took that as she, I might be wrong. Now that you're saying this, I don't think I interpret it this way. And I think you're right. But I had looked at that as she was going to die anyway. Like she, she, you know, like broke both her legs. She was going to die like laying there if no one found her. So I kind of took that as he had already left it. Kind of like Arya with the hounds and Game of Thrones. Like, you know, yeah, you, you may not physically kill the person, but didn't you kind of do it anyway? So I took it as that. And then when she said that, 
okay, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to get this out right now. So, but I didn't think of the fact that maybe he wasn't looking to kill her. It was just, but, but uh, what else would have been his intent? Yeah, I don't like, know, but I think that's why he's so cool is that as a character, like you just don't, even when you think you understand his motives and what he's thinking, you really don't. And yeah. and just the fact that we're having this debate it yeah, yeah. perfectly encapsulates that. I thought it was interesting too, that you find out in that conversation that they never consummated the marriage, which yeah. is a big deal in um, in Westeros and in this world. Like that's, it does, it's not official until you consummate. Whether they do anything with that, I don't know, because he basically said, oh, she's dead. So it, doesn't, it doesn't matter now, right? But I don't know. I just thought that was interesting, and or they're just really leading in, or leaning into the fact that his little Damon is not doing too well. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, little Damon has a history this season. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's no question that the scene of the episode was the wedding feast, and what's funny is that it was supposed to be just a welcome feast and one of seven in seven days that leads to the eventual wedding. But because of all the craziness that happens in the episode, uh, they just have a shotgun wedding and they just get it over with. But there were so many payoffs and so many interactions that have been building since the first episode. And this, to me, this scene of the wedding feast is exactly what makes Game of Thrones so great. And it reminded me a lot more of Joffrey's wedding than the Red Wedding. The Red Wedding you think everything's kind of fine and then and then what happens is shit goes down and everyone's dead, right? Joffrey's wedding, they really, the way they shot it and the, the director really made it where it was building towards something and you're nervous, every interaction, everyone's talking to each other and you just know something big is gonna happen and you don't know what. This was just like that. And with the drums that were drumming when they were all doing their little weird interpretive dancing and I don't know what the hell they were doing. Um, but with the music, which was incredible, the drums, you could just tell that something is coming and I just thought it was masterful how they pulled off the entire scene. So what were, Kate, what were some of your favorite parts of the scene? Oh my gosh. Well, I totally agree with you. This, I wrote down, like, this is what Game of Thrones was. Like, mm -hmm. there were so many different things going on and so many people had secrets there. And I kept trying to think like, okay, who knows what, who's sleeping with who and what is happening here? And it was just so crazy to figure that out but that's like so game of thrones mm -hmm. um the three entrances were my favorite part hands down so first it's the house valerian coming in and they had like everybody stops and then they had the drums um and the name announcements um and they looked they all looked amazing and it was just such a crazy gorgeous entrance i loved it and then of course after that we have damon coming in fashionably late with his little swagger, of course, his little smirk, walking up. And then, of course, we have Queen Alicent coming in, which, like I said, she's clearly ready to play. Um, the music for her entrance, I wish we could just, like, play a clip of it right now because it was absolute fire. Like, it was amazing. Um, and also the look on her face while she's, like, slowly walking down, I mean if looks could kill, like the royal family would be dead. Um, and then when she goes up to where they all are, they're all sitting and she calls Rhaenyra stepdaughter. Yep. I was like, oh shit. Mm, same. She's done. <laughs> yeah, that look on her face, man. She, Emily Carey acted her ass off in that scene for sure. She was phenomenal. I have a question yep. about uh, something Kate brought up. You said you it was fashionably late. I don't know if he was late. What, what, like... So 
he got banned i thought so is this like three times is, yeah is this <laughs> yeah. like a, is this a soft ban is it a hard ban like I don't get how you could be like, you are banished from this kingdom. You will never come back. And then you just walk back in in front of a bunch of you and they grab you a chair. That was funny though. When like, there was no chair for him. And then the king just looks at that one guy, the little servant, <laughs> and he just puts up like the little kid chair on like the, the end of the table. Like to me, that was like the only part of the episode. I was like, am I reading this wrong? You would think maybe like a knight would go to step forward and the king would be like, no, not on this day. Like something. I'm like, I, it was really weird. I'm like, dude. Like, there's no authority here in this kingdom. Like, who's calling the shot? Like, it was really weird. Yeah, I think that it, like, it's yeah. not like he's actually banished. It's more just like the king is like, get the fuck out of here. You know what I mean? More than like, actually, there's a decree now that you can't okay. step foot in here or you'll be arrested okay. or something. You know what I mean? I'm guessing that's what I it is. It that way the first time, but then after the last time, it was like legit, like, yo, if I ever see you here again, like, yeah. done, like, kind of thing. And, and like, by you're done, it really meant, well, you'll pull up a chair and have dinner with us at the feast. <laughs> like, so yeah that, that i don't know i thought it was weird you said like late i'm like i don't even know even though he was on the invite list <laughs> he may not have been yeah he, he just he, likes I'm to sure. show up and swagger around so yeah no doubt and and i think that that first interaction that he had with gerald royce who was the cousin of his now deceased wife that was just one of so many little micro scenes within the the bigger scene um it was it was that one that you had uh Lenor talking to his lover Joffrey, Joffrey talking to Sir Kristen. You had Harwin and Laris Strong, which are the two um, sons of the new Hand of the King, um, Lionel Strong. The scene with Damon and Rhaenyra, Damon Lena Valerion. I mean, there was just so many interactions. Brad, what was one of those interactions that really stood out for you? One, I mean, it was just like a, a, a cute little moment, if you would. Um, it was when Jason, Jason Lannister, our Ooh. Name good name there in the, good in name the whole series so far jason Lannister, <laughs> when he's up there talking his like you know misogynistic bullshit oh women are always late ha 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 and i just <laughs> love the look that you know father and daughter kind of glance at each other yeah. and it's like this guy like and again like i know a lot of people shit on king viserys but like it was just one of those like he has his moments where he you know he's a he's a not the best king, he's not the worst king, which makes it really interesting that he's kind of starting to get into that mindset now of like, what's my legacy gonna be? And I, I think it's interesting, like we always think, especially in fiction, we're so used to king, you're either King Arthur and you're the, the most like best loyal king, does the best for his people, or you're Joffrey and you're a complete monster. But like most kings in like English, like history, fall somewhere in between like yeah you have terrible tyrants and then you have like kings that there was no war under the you know when they ruled but like most kings just fall somewhere in between so i think i like that about the show that he's like one of those kings that just falls in between yeah no doubt i i feel you and and i caught that little glance too between rainera and um king viserys and just again like those little subtle things are what make these show the show so good and it really you could tell the, the chemistry between those two actors just was awesome. Um, a couple other things to touch on about this one scene. The line when Damon is dancing with Rhaenyra and he's like, is this really what you want? They're talking in High Valyrian and, and she's like, you're here for me, aren't you? Like, marry me, do all this. And he's like, well, my my marriage or my wife is dead now. And 
and she she throws his line back at him that he said to her last episode where he, she goes marriage is only a political arrangement so i'm told and so i thought that was pretty cool how she yeah. just throws it in his face exactly what he said to her last episode but beyond that um again going back to queen allison and when she made her entrance with that green dress just looking looking killer and you see the two strong siblings harwin strong and lara strong and laris who's the cripple one we'll, we'll talk about him in a little bit as well but he says to, to Harwin, he said, do you know what color the high tower glows when Old Town calls its banners to war? Green. And so uh, Queen Allison, she's making a statement. I mean, she's just not wearing a, a pretty dress. She is purposefully wearing that color and she's making a statement to everyone there that I represent House Hightower through and through. Fuck all of you guys. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the game, just like Kate said. She has entered the Game of Thrones and she is a major player now and she announced it better than maybe anybody else that was such a cool moment yeah and her was... whole family was there too wearing green also I yeah and her uncle who is the uh, the lord of uh lord of old town he's like hey house hightower with you and so you see already her starting to build allies and that's why after that happened when you see the second part where sir Kristen is about to kill himself and she stops him and like I said, I just see him going over to that side. I just see that betrayal happening. And you see in her mind kind of like, it's like, okay, I got to be political. I have to be strategic and I have to start building allies for what's to come. And and this is the the early parts of that, which I just think is really, really cool. So you mentioned like da Damon and Rhaenyra, like, yo, how far were they about to go on that dance floor before the fight broke out? Because I mean, he had like, cheek in hand they were both leaning in you know the series watching like had that fight not broken out which you know of course that's what they want but you know they're doing this intentionally obviously you know as far as like the people behind the scenes but damn like come i was like give give this like two more minutes before all hell breaks loose. i really want to see where this is about to go in front of everybody right now because mm -hmm. that storyline was super intriguing when again it was the episode of shooting your shot. Damon, another example, went out there and shot his shot. Like, and it seemed like he was the one who was about to have someone receptive to it for the first time in this episode before all that. Do you think she was like leading him on, playing games with him, or does she really want that? <laughs> it's a it's a good question. I I mean, I think, first of all, no one was inconspicuous in this episode between <laughs> at, at, in that scene. <laughs> Uh, what Lenor and his lover and Joffrey, they're just yeah. like hugging each other. Like, bro, everyone is around. Like, let's try to play cool a little bit. And same with this, uh, just not inconspicuous at all. I, I feel like she's playing the game and she knows he likes to manipulate. He likes to, you know, be in control and, and talk big. And so she gives it right back to him just to kind of show that she's on that same level as him. You can't talk down to her. And I think it's all just part of, you know, kind of a, a grasp for power a little bit within that conversation. What do you think, Kate? I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, I that makes the most sense. What you just said is that they're kind of both playing it and just, I don't know if they truly mean it. Like, I just keep saying, like, you want to get married? Oh, you, you, I'll marry you. you uh, get married? Uh, <laughs> it's like, then, hang up. No, no, you, no, you hang up. No, 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 you hang up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know where that's going. I just don't see that happening, but I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. Well, it, it's, you know, interesting to see. I mean, it seems like he definitely has an affinity for, uh, for Rhaenyra for sure. 
Yeah. And if we're, we're looking at battle lines being drawn and we're looking at different groups starting to collect alliances, I can't imagine Damon not standing with Rhaenyra when push comes to shove, but you know, he he seems to have already kind of gotten over the fact that he should be the heir. And obviously he still is power hungry, but I feel like he, he will fall in line with her when, when it comes time. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see them together. I mean, you know, they think, I don't know, I don't know, I want to say for better or worse, but they think dragons are the end all be all of everything. And like, to some extent, they're kind of right. But I mean, we see in this series alone, like you need other things, you need like trade with other kingdoms, you need ships, there are other things that dragons can't really do. And you know, maybe you can make the argument, well, they can force you to get what you want. But I think those two characters think, we don't need anyone else like we could do this and maybe the show is building up to that are they right do they really like mm-hmm. we should just be ruling everything we don't need to work with any other like part of this kingdom and the rest of the kingdom saying you know if we work together we might have a better kingdom without people like that here ruling us so that's what i think would be really interesting to see because I, I could totally see those two characters like let's just go to dragonstone you know like let's do it like who's going to stop us hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, and they're both very independent, uh, and so I, I could see that happening, too. I don't know if it's, I mean, I do think politically you need to have, and I mean, especially it'd be stupid not to, um, I guess, nourish the alliance that they have with House Valerion now, because that's a, a huge new uh, addition to their side if when things break out, potentially, right? But according to the events of this episode, so yeah, yeah, really interesting. So something else I want to talk about with y'all. I want to talk about Prince Laner's sexuality, right? Obviously he is gay and they were in the beginning, very subtle about it. And I actually really liked that on that first conversation where he's walking on the beach with Rhaenyra and they're just talking about, oh, it's, you know, it's a matter of taste. Like I prefer roast duck to goose. A lot of people like goose. And, and he's like, it's not for a lack of trying. Like there are people who like goose very well, right? And I like that because it trusts the audience to figure it out what's going on. And I think that like, it it was obvious. I mean, it's obvious what they were saying, but it wasn't in your face. And so I liked that, right? And actually, did did you guys watch Schitt's Creek? Yes. Okay, so Schitt's Creek did something similar um, and even down to the, the food example. And it reminded me exactly of how they revealed the pansexuality of David, the character Dan Levy. And in that show, Stevie, the character, they had just hooked up. David and Stevie just hooked up and Stevie thought he was gay before they hooked up. And so Stevie says to him, she's like, I only drink red wine. Up until last night, I was under the impression that you also only drank red wine, but I guess I was wrong. And he's like, yeah, I do drink red wine, but I also drink white wine. I've been known to sample the occasional rosé. I do a Merlot, maybe a Chardonnay. And so Stevie goes, okay, so you're just basically open to all wines? And he goes, yep, I like the wine, not the label. And that's it. And they never talk about it again over the course of the entire show. And it's obvious to to the viewer what's happening here and and what's going on. But it was done in a way that was subtle enough that I think it respected the viewer, respected the characters. And so I really liked that, that first scene where they start talking about it obviously a lot had to happen in this episode and they really had to advance the plot so i mean it went from first meeting the guy joffrey the lover 
and thinking he wouldn't be, uh, you know, an important character, but he would kind of be there for a while to getting his face mashed in, in, in under an episode, right? So they had to go more into it, but then they kind of just throw it in your face a little bit more than I would have liked. Um, you know, the, uh, his parents, um, Corliss and Rainice were talking and they're like, oh, it's, it's in his nature. And, and Corliss is like, oh, he'll grow out of it. It'll be fine. And just like typical ignorant parents, you know, that come from a different generation and all that. Um, and, and, you know, they just, again, were not subtle with it at all. And they really kind of hit us over the, uh, over the head with the fact that he's gay many times throughout the episode. But in the beginning, I really liked how subtle that they handled it. Yeah, that was a really nice conversation between yeah. them. And she she's obviously just so understanding too, but she's very forward thinking, like just in general. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah, it yeah. did become a little bit more like obvious and obvious. Like you said, like it became a not so best kept secret, like after a little bit, you know, especially when uh, you know, once Joffrey does meet his doom, I mean he he basically like ran out of the dance room and was like, My lover, no, like. I mean, it, it was pretty apparent at that point, like these two have something going on. But I think it's one of those things too, like maybe it's one of those things everyone in the kingdom knows, but just no one like really kind of talks about it. Yeah, for sure. Well, what else do you have that you want to talk about that we haven't maybe touched on something from the episode that stood out to you, a scene, a character, whatever it is, Brad, what, what do you got? Only other thing that I feel we haven't touched on is the acceleration in that wedding going from this is going to be a week-long extravaganza to I, I I didn't get Kate pointed out because she was like, yeah, the blood is still on the floor. I'm like, mm -hmm. yo, is this like, did they just speed things up? And it's like the next day. And she's like, no, this is like that night. And I'm like, wow, that is like crazy and very sad. Obviously, these man, like that it's, it's really sad. Like, what a lot of these characters like have to go through in it. and you, you know you are reminded like you know at times we can make light of it and people make light of it when watching but this is you know these are situations that people were once forced to deal with in terms of, I mean still are to some extent like whether it be arranged marriages or just like you know this guy like the brutality of seeing the person he loves just beaten to death and now he's marrying a woman he doesn't love like an hour later and it's just so trash and you know you knew during the ceremony like how sad this was but I didn't know at the time yeah this is a few hours later like yeah I mean a day later wouldn't be enough to process those thoughts obviously but just like just like how crazy a time you know this was and to bring this to fantasy it was just unbelievable mm -hmm. yeah I felt so bad for him when he was like saying his vows he's just like sobbing it was so sad and, and has there ever been a happy wedding on Game of Thrones ever man i mean <laughs> probably once that just... had a, had a lovely occasion minus i think Tyrion had to like crawl on the ground at one point and i think yeah no no that was at Tyrion's wedding with sansa i think joffrey and Mar Mar marjorie had a had a lovely evening if i recall i don't think there was any murder or bloodshed i think all went as planned <laughs> And Walder Frey and all of his daughters. That, that was a really yeah. lovely. All ceremony. those went off without a hitch. Yep, yep, yep. Beautiful. No lovely. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Kate, any other notes of things you want to talk about or things that you have uh, that you want to watch out for in future episodes? Yeah. So just one one small thing that stuck out to me is um, Damon was very interested in Lady Lena mm -hmm. all of a sudden. And I mean, 
girl is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. But I was kind of like, what, what, what is going on here? Like he started dancing with her, flirting with her right before he goes to Rhaenyra. So I don't know. That was just kind of like, what are we doing here? So that was interesting. I thought, did you guys see that or have any thoughts? Oh, yeah. On that? Yeah. Oh yeah. I got that on my, what to watch for as well. Yeah. But so we'll see. And then I just like my biggest question, and I don't know if you guys know the answer or if this will be like something that's revealed later on, but, um, I keep forgetting his name, Lionel's son, the, the one that was talking to Allison and revealed the whole, oh, she, you didn't know she had tea and she's Laris strong. Laris. Thank you. What the heck is his motive in getting involved in all of this and giving her that information that kind of sets off her coming into her own and kind of building her own team here? Yeah, I mean, the, he, we're right there. He, he, this is uh, my what to watch for as well. And uh, I mean, he reminds me so much of like Varys, not necessarily Littlefinger, but, but more Varys where he sits and observes he is like a cripple. I mean, Varys is not a cripple, but he's a eunuch. Mm-hmm. And uh, this guy has club foot. And so he said a quote, which was I thought was pretty great. He said, when one is never invited to speak, one learns and learns instead to observe. And so he's just collecting information, which could ultimately, I think, be a, a really good resource for him to gain some power in, in this world. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I don't like how smart and, and scheming he is. It, it just, I don't like him. But I think that he's going to end up being a very important character just based on what we've already seen He's that he's able to do. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, I don't know. I was just kind of like, what is the point? Like, what, what, why would he do that? But I'm, I mean, maybe that's something that's still yet to come. Yeah, I feel like a character like Damon is one to stir the pot. I feel like someone like this guy who are just super strong and, and really thinking five steps ahead, I think that there is going to be something bigger that he has in his sights than what, just stirring the pot i don't know what that is on martin's line about like he, he has a line about like cripples bastards and broken things it's exactly like, it like those are like the characters he likes to make like the smartest and most tr- strategic or something like that and like you obviously see it with john snow like he has like an affinity towards characters that in that universe at that time might have been considered like broken you know well, yeah, look at Tyrion. Like, yeah, he was super smart. Yeah, in season most, one, Tyrion and Jon Snow. Jon Snow and Tyrion bond over that exact thing mm-hmm. in season one. And then obviously you see what happens with Bran and where he ends up. Yeah. That we won't talk about, but yeah. exactly. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I noticed, the, the closing shot in the episode was a big rat that was like oh, hanging yeah. out, either drinking the blood or like splashing around in the blood. <laughs> I mean, I have no clue, but it seems like that is going to be foreshadowing for something. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. Did you guys think the same thing or is that just a throwaway? I, no, there is. I can't remember what it was. There's, oh man, it, it's either in one of the Game of Thrones books or like one of the things I read. It's There's something like it's viewed as a sign. And maybe I'm just completely wrong. This is like another fictional universe altogether of like when the rats start to show up. You know, I think it's like, you know, we talk about like rings of power, like, you know, I don't know, obviously the white tree, it's more than foreshadowing. This tree is known to literally shed when there's, I think there's something with the red keep where they say like at times in which the rats come out means like 
some shit's about to go down. I think there mm-hmm. might be, you know, whether it's a prophecy or just like a thing people say. So that might be what they're hinting at because there was that other point too where we talked about, remember like, wasn't someone having sex and the rats were like above them kind of watching? So I think it's saying like the rats get more comfortable like coming out from these areas when mm-hmm. everyone's at each other's throats or about to be at each other's throats. Okay, I don't think the rats were watching them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they were like Damon. They pulled up a chair. This is voyeuristic rats. <laughs> no, no, no. It was they when were... Alice and the King were having yeah. sex. She was staring up at the ceiling and there was a rat. But um, in my opinion, Noah, this like plays in perfectly to what you were talking about with like the cracks are showing. Like this, the physical cracks of the castle are happening and these rats are coming in and yeah, I like that day. so I think that works perfectly with the theme of this episode that you pulled out yeah I mean shooter shoot and cracks are showing those are the <laughs> two themes that we came up with on this episode which I think is pretty cool shooters well, gonna shoot cracks gonna crack cracks gonna crack uh all right well Mr. Loremaster Brad G and and Caterade do you have anything else that we want to talk about before we close up no, thank you for naming. I, I had not reached an episode title up until now. We're going to go with Shooter's Gonna Shoot. There we go. Thank you. I didn't have to go back and think about that after the fact. You're welcome. I try to help you not have to think as much as I can. <laughs> uh, well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Geek and You Shall Find podcast. Next week, the rest of the Superhero Phrases crew are traveling to Europe to research and conduct interviews for an up- up- upcoming docuseries that's all about Game of Thrones. You guys will love it, so make sure to check back on that. But not to worry, I will still be here, and I'll be joined by some special guests to recap the next episodes of The Rings of Power and House of the Dragon. Make sure to subscribe so you can be notified when those episodes get posted. And once again, just make sure to follow, like, comment, and we really appreciate y'all getting geeky with us again today. To all our listeners in Singapore, Zai Jin, goodbye, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Bye, guys.